Happy Friday, everyone. And thank you for joining us on Fried Okra, the public education podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Carrie Copernall Jacobs with the Oklahoma Education Association. And I'm Alicia Priest, president of the OEA. Fried Okra is a weekly podcast where we get together to talk about public education issues in Oklahoma. We hope you'll join us every Friday. Well, we are joined this morning by the illustrious Amanda Ewing of our legislative team. Good morning, Amanda. How are you? Good morning. I'm good. Thanks. Well, let's get right into it. Uh, We're hearing budget talks. There's been some very public uh, comments from folks in the House and the Senate about education funding and what that's going to look like this year. What, uh, What are we hearing? Well, the good news is that we're hearing that all sides in the negotiations want to increase funding to education. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, but that's good news. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm yes. waiting for the other shoe to drop. Yeah, go. <laughs> now is the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, so um, I think that everybody is in support of funding the increase in the flexible benefit allowance to educators. You know, teachers yes. get their um, individual health insurance paid for by the state and uh, the increased cost to the state for that is mm-hmm. $17 million. So, you know, at, at the bare minimum, it seems like everybody wants to, you know, fund that increase. Okay. I'm also um, going to blame that on COVID oh, and man, the increased no costs due to COVID. Lordy. Yes. So then there are several other things that are just in flux that, you know, negotiations take place behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. Um, our budget negotiations are less transparent in Oklahoma than in just about any other state in the nation. So, Top 10. Top you know, 10. we don't know exactly, but we've heard rumors that, um, you know, there may be funding for science textbooks across the state, which would what? be. Oh, my gosh. Yes. That would be awesome. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. I didn't know and, that. Um, <laughs> That's exciting. There's talk about um, what else, whether or not to increase funding enough to reinstate the House Bill 1017 class size mandate. Yeah, let's let's pause there and talk about that. There's so a, there's a he okay. said, she said on okay. this with the Senate and the House. Alicia, why don't you give us the background of 1017? What is that House Bill 1017? House Bill 1017 mandated class sizes in, in grade spans. Yeah. And... Um, and and we had a huge walkout for it yep. in the in the nineties. Yep. And by we, I mean that was before I was in education. I was mm-hmm. still in college, but um, but it was uh, four days in the rain, marching around trying to get the last person to sign on to to that bill. And there was a lot of um, blowback because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it did a lot of great things um, in funding education, in making sure that we were. Uh, that we had class sizes that weren't ridiculous Mm -hmm. because before 40 to 50 kids in a class was not, you know, unheard of. And that's still happening in some places. It is now happening again because we are not under the 1017 mandates. So Amanda, tell us about how, how this conversation connects to 1017. So when funding declined uh, about a decade ago, a little over a decade ago, the legislature said, all right, we understand that, you know, um, schools are in such bad shape that they can't, they've got to put more kids in classes in order to um, make ends meet and can't have such small classes. And so they put a moratorium on all the class size mandates. So we, OEA and the administrators and school board association and, and the House and Senate came together a few years ago and kind of made an agreement. We did make an agreement and passed the bill that 
basically said uh, for every additional $135 million that the legislature puts into public education, mm-hmm. and it's got to be unencumbered, you're not telling us how to spend it, mm-hmm, it's just mm-hmm. going to schools for their needs as they see fit, uh, we'll reinstate a certain grade span in um, class size mandates. And so the place we're at right now is if, if the legislature, you know, appropriated that money this year, we would reinstate kindergarten and first grade class size mandates. So Alicia had alluded to it, that it was sort of a he said, she said situation that folks aren't agreeing about whether that is, whether this is a good time for that. Yeah. So the house Republicans have been very vocal about, you know, we want to put that money in and and we want to reinstate those mandates. Mm Mm-hmm. The Senate, you know, it's questionable. It may be that they don't want to put quite as much money in, but they've also got this concern that, you know, we passed a a funding bill earlier this year that changes the way schools fund, uh, you know, changes the way school budgets work, Mm -hmm. right? They say you've got to um, base your funding on your current enrollment, not, you know, a larger enrollment from last year. And so, a lot of school districts are looking at some uncertainty um, on on what their funding is really going to be next year and how that's going to you know work when that bill right. uh, takes effect. So the Senate's saying, you know, even if we're giving schools this money, we don't know if it's right to reinstate those uh, class size mandates because we don't know what shape schools are going to be in and whether or not they're ready to do that. Which is fascinating because they passed that bill. <laughs> and they knew, they knew that it was going to cause right. uh, uncertainty and and chaos yeah. in funding, I mean, in budgeting for schools. So go ahead. Amanda, and, sorry. I mean, other issues is just that the Senate is saying, yeah, you're putting additional money into, you know, education house, but you're, it's not unencumbered. You know, mm. you've got mm-hmm. strings attached to a lot of this money, and so you wouldn't be meeting that requirement anyway. You're not, you know, you're not doing what is required in mm. order to meet those, uh, you know, that bill requirement and, and, and implement the class size mandate. So, I mean, it's just a lot of uncertainty uncertainty between the House and the Senate and what exactly we can expect for our for our budget. And frankly, n- nobody's nobody's talking. Nobody's telling us yeah. yet uh, what's happening in those negotiations. Well, we will keep an eye on that. And excuse me, speaking of education funding, um, we're also hearing some voucher chatter. Yes, uh, this is, you know, if, if for folks who've been following the last couple of years, the Equal Opportunity Scholarship uh, battle where, you know, one side wants to really expand this tax credit and um, make sure that, you know, wealthy families are uh, getting scholarships to go to private schools. Yeah. Who's looking out for them? (laughs) And we, of course, are saying public funds stay in public schools and we don't do anything of the sort. Um, So, you know, the last couple of sessions, we've come down to this last month in uh, the session where every week we're hearing these rumors. And so it's happening again this year. There's, uh, there's serious talk that, we may see that Equal Opportunity Scholarship Tax Credit Expansion Bill come back, uh, kind of come back from the dead uh, this last part of session. And and if it does, we're going to have to fight it, you know, and we're going to yeah. have to make a contact. We're not trying to 
freak everybody out for no reason. And, and right now the bill has not come back. But we are hearing some, you know, decently credible rumors that, that it may be coming. What kind of jiggery-pokery shenanigans is this? <laughs> I mean, yeah. if it didn't get heard in committee, uh, if it hasn't yes. been able to pass it through the regular channels with um, with some transparency, yeah, how in the world... Good self-censoring. Thank you. Uh, how in the world is it coming back up now? Well, I mean, just procedurally, you know, um, the JCAB committee, the Joint Committee on Appropriations and Budget, uh, is a House and Senate committee that meets at this time of year, and they can just introduce bills out of thin air. I mean, they just say, here's a new bill that you haven't seen all session, and it's going to, you know, usually the bills are to fund an agency, Mm -hmm. but, you know, it could be really about anything, and so um, we could see a bill come out of JCAB that once it passes out of that committee, it goes directly to the House and Senate floor for a vote there. Um, You know, that's just, like, how they might do it, but I know that your question goes more to the, uh, (laughs) I think, more to the philosophical, why would they do this, And, and you know, I'm with you. It doesn't make any sense. We've we've killed this bill over and over, and and I'm grateful that we have a lot of strong education advocates in the house, in both parties, yeah. who are saying, you know, enough is enough. You, yeah. We don't we don't need this session. I mean, there we started the session with the most voucher bills in the nation, thirteen. Uh, yeah, I mean, and so I I know this shouldn't surprise me. But I am always surprised. I'm always, I'm continuously surprised. Because we live in a world where you do what's right because it's what's right. Right. And public funds in public schools is such a, that's like the most benign position. You know what I mean? That's right. not controversial. Like that is the most basic. Oh, all right. Enough of that. Okay. That is good to know. We'll keep it on our radar. Speaking of shenanigans. Speaking of shenanigans is exactly um, what I was going to say. <laughs> um what uh where what is happening with epic big news about them this week big headline yeah, yeah. big headline there, you know there's been a grand jury investigating um epic for for months since december and they aren't done yet uh which is you know crazy it it just really speaks to how difficult it is to get at what's happening within mm-hmm. that school district and mm-hmm. you know where money is going um but the grand jury said you know even though we're not done we're going to kind of put out a uh, midterm report. They put out 25 which is, pages Which is so interesting. Said, That's usually not how it goes. No, I know. I haven't seen it before, but, but yeah. they basically said what, you know, we've been saying all along, what you guys have been saying all along, which is uh, this is really suspect and these people are yeah. not doing business the way they should. Uh, and, and I'll just quote from the Oklahoman uh, that Um, The multi-county grand jury on Thursday called for the board of Epic Charter Schools to extricate itself from its incestuous relationship with a private management company formed by Epic's co-founders. It is hoped changes will allow the parents to have confidence in a public school motivated by a desire to improve education outcomes and not by profit, the grand jury stated. The citizens of Oklahoma demand more the students in Oklahoma deserve better, and uh, and holy moly! And then you know, I read further in a non doc non doc article that um, that uh, if you read between the lines, the grand jury is actually saying to the legislature, "You are still in session. Yeah, do something about 
this lack of transparency, mm-hmm. this incestuous relationship mm-hmm. that is allowed. Yeah. I that when I following this saga over the years, I I have always thought, what if this was a traditional public school? And now Epic is the largest school district in Oklahoma. If if this was Oklahoma City Public Schools, I mean the legislature would lose their minds. Yeah. It, I mean it, it would be go time. Yeah. And I and I I just find it fascinating the lack of urgency um on this issue across the, the lack street. of will yeah to yeah. actually do anything substantial i mean to take care yeah, of the problem i know you remember that back in september the state auditor put out just a, a really uh harsh report mm-hmm. with with all sorts of findings about epic and and you know i really thought going into this legislative session we were going to see a legislature that wanted to Uh, hold them accountable. We were going to see all sorts of legislation, you know, trying to uh, fix those, you know, close those loopholes Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. ensure that their, you know, boards were were doing what they needed to do. And uh, it's just the silence has been deafening at the Capitol on on this issue. And it's a telling tale because there was a lot of money given from the founders of Epic and their families to, to, to legislators who hold the power. Well, Jacob can pluck legislation from the sky, so maybe maybe we'll see something. Some good shenanigans. Yeah, good shenanigans. I'm up for that. Yes. So, well, that I'll, would be great. Well, all right, Amanda. We appreciate all the update, and uh, we we will be following along with you um, as these budget talks and everything else continues. And waiting for word that we need to, you know, start making yep. huge amounts of contact. Yep. Public funds for public schools. Well, thanks, y'all. I will be sure to let you know. And we are so excited today to have a special guest with us. Uh, We've got uh, Kareesh Ali Lamsana, who is a poet, author, and educator. Um, Thank you so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having Uh, me. Yes. Well, um, we wanted to um, visit with you about your book, Opal's Greenwood Oasis, which... um, I brought our copy from home is a, a great story about a third grader and her bicycle and um, sort of opens the door to have a conversation about what happened um, in Greenwood in 1921. So can you kind of give us a, a look into the genesis for this book? Where, where and why did you uh, decide to do this project? Sure. So I've been back in Oklahoma for about two and a half years. I spent uh, 29 in Chicago and two in New York for graduate school. And but I've been researching um, green, the Greenwood District and the massacre for almost 20 years. Um, and as an educator um, and as a parent um, I, and as an Oklahoman. Right. Um, I wanted to make sure that our young people um have found a way into this history and that we provided a a way for young people to access this history that was uh, both celebrating black excellence over black pain. um, And because certainly um, the massacre was one of the most, if not the worst act of racial violence in the the history of this country. Um, But thinking about also about what was destroyed 
And what was destroyed was the Greenwood District, which at one time from 1905 to 1921 was the most affluent black community in the country. Um, and they, it's completely self-sufficient, completely independent, of course, because it had to be because of the Jim Crow laws in the state and in Tulsa, um, but was economically vibrant with schools, banks, hospitals, theaters, churches. Um, and certainly it had um, an aspect of uh, there, there was always a you know sort of a, a criminal aspect to it, just like there is in any community. There's danger, but it was for the most part an exceedingly safe um, environment um, and self-sufficient and self-sustaining. And so it was important to me, one, um, because all of us as Oklahomans uh, were never taught this history in K-12 education. It was not taught in Oklahoma history class in eighth grade, ninth grade. Um, so, you know, the, the history of what happened uh, was buried, you know, by design, by the state, by the city. Um, uh, for almost a century, right? Um, but also because of that, and then also thinking about how if young people growing up in Greenwood or North Tulsa today, or the South side of Chicago, where I lived for so long, or, um, you know, North, uh, different parts, different communities, um, that if they step out their window, their step out the window, step out their door, right? And what they see is what they know. Right. And so if you're in the northeast Oklahoma City uh, and you step out your door, sometimes I believe that our young people see that and that's as far as they can go. Right. If you can't see beyond beyond. Right. Your immediate reality, then yeah. then your dreams will stay unless you have adults, teachers, parents, um, others who are or helping you see and dream beyond um, your block, you know, yeah, beyond yeah. the situation, then our children's often, um, because they're, it's because life is hard, particularly in community, marginalized communities, mm-hmm. um, their dreams can be stunted before they even have a chance to grow, chance to blossom. Yeah. So part of the work of this book is helping young folks in North Tulsa and places like North Tulsa, like Northeast sure. Oklahoma City, like Southside, sure. Westside, Chicago, see um, a world that was created, right? A community that was created by black hands, right? That thrived, um, that was economically vibrant and independent uh, for the most part of South Tulsa. Um, and I wanted, I wanted young people to really see that, that black folks built this place um, and that it's in your DNA to do the same. You know, one, one of the things that I love about it is, let me find an example here. So is that you, the way that you drop in names and locations that really honor what, that this is not fiction, that this is, that this is a real place with real families and real businesses and the way that you sort of drop in, you know, um, the drugstore, Williams Drugstore and different businesses along the way. Why was that important to do, to do that specifically? Well, one, to honor what was, right? To yeah. honor that these were the folks who built these businesses, built these homes. Um, and that then secondly, as I think you sort of really sort of spoke to, Carrie, in your question, that it was a real place. That this place really existed. The only fictional characters are Opal and her yeah. family, right? Yeah. Um, everyone else who's referenced in the book, every place that's referenced in the book actually existed um, in Greenwood. And it was important, again, um, to honor the history, to honor what was here and who built 
what was here. Um, and I say here because I'm literally on Greenwood Avenue right now in my office yeah. at OSU Tulsa. Yeah. Um, but um, and to, to honor and to, and to give them names, to give to, to give them, to, to sort of lift them up, right? You right. know, folks are alive for as long as we remember them. And, you know, there are plaques on Greenwood Avenue that uh, in the places where these businesses uh, once stood, once existed, that's a form of, of remembrance as well. So this is another way to, to call their names um, yeah. and, to, and to give, to honor what they did and that they lost their lives. Many, most, many folks lost their lives. So certainly lost their homes and their businesses, um, you know, because of economic jealousy and, and racism. I mean, period. So it was important, again, to, to, to identify who was there um, and to go on this bike ride with Opal through this community so we could show off what it was. And so speaking of the bike ride, that's it. That's another thing that I that really enjoy about the book is that it, it is sort of the opposite of the specific and that it is so universal, that this is accessible to um, no matter where you grew up, you can, you know, kids can identify with Opal riding her bike for the first time, you know, to to the store by herself. That is a sort of this childhood rite of passage. Um, I think it really gives a humanity of this is everyday sort of everyday America that makes it, you know, it, it's, it, it takes place in Greenwood, but that is any neighborhood, you right. know? And thank you for saying that, because that was certainly a point of, uh, of the bike ride, right? Is that, um, as you said, it, it's a universal rite of passage mm-hmm. uh, when your parents allow you to go on your first bike ride by yourself, right? Yeah. Um, and that we could, that Opal takes us with her, um, through this vibrant community uh, where, you know, Mrs. Little knows her and Mr. Man who owns the grocery store, they know her family and they're concerned. Yeah. What you doing out here without your parents, right? <laughs> yeah. There's, there's this, there's this, this, it's community. Um, yeah. And to give that sense of community and that sense of safety um, was very important. Um, but also again, the bike ride is a way for any child and an adult for that matter mm-hmm. to sort of enter the story. Um, and, and, and I'm glad, I'm glad you picked that up. Yeah. So, um, so I am a Spanish teacher Mm -hmm. and, um, it's so important for me to introduce culturally appropriate, historically accurate, um, information to my students and to have them be able to connect in ways that, that, that Carrie and I did with this, with with Opal's Greenwood. Um, uh, anyway, um, what, what do you hope comes from sharing this story of Opal's Greenwood Oasis? Well, number one, I hope that um, I, we are introducing again or sort of reintroducing this district um, what it was before it was destroyed. Um, that again, I, I lean on the, the idea of black excellence over black pain to introduce to, to our young people that this, this thriving community was built by black hands. Um, that a dollar could start at uh, the corner of Greenwood at Archer at sunrise and travel all the way up to Pine and back to the same spot by sun, at sunset and have exchanged hands um, 18 times and nothing but black hands, right? Um, and the money staying in the community. 
Um, so I wanted to make sure that, that we, again, honor and, and help young people remember what, that, that this place really existed, that it's not a myth. It was right. real, right? Um, that's one. Secondly, again, to, um, as I mentioned earlier, to help our young people see the past so they can take stock in the present and then maybe build or dream a future, right? That um, this place was built by black hands. It can, it's in our DNA. It's in your DNA to see and build and dream beyond your immediate situation, your immediate surroundings. Um, that's two. Um, three, um, I wanted to provide, or we, I should say, with Naja Amatula Hilton and Skip Hill, um, our illustrator, our amazing illustrator. Um, we wanted to provide sort of some jumping off points for teachers and adults to, if they wanted to discuss what happened the next day after Opal's ride, then those, then they could guide that conversation or those conversations as they so chose. Right. Again, thinking about as an educator that, you know, as I, I don't know that I feel like a third, fourth grader, you know, most third, fourth graders could handle, you know, the, the catastrophe of the massacre. I'm not sure they're ready for that yet. Yeah. As a journalist, I often, I often ponder, right. You know, we can't, uh, how do we talk to our kids about the pandemic? Right. You know, yeah, sure. you know, they're in it. They right. lived it. Right. How do we talk to our young people, our children about difficult topics? When are they old enough to 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 understand or be able to to ascertain or comprehend without without fear? Right. Yeah. Um, you know, and again, we, we, we are in a prime example of this. How do you talk to young people about this pandemic? You see that people are dying. Maybe people have died in your family. People are getting sick. You can't go to school. Yeah. Right. How do you navigate conversations with an eight year old, nine year old, you know, about what what this situation is. And so um, I wanted to make sure we wanted to make sure that we presented what was in a way that also, again, allowed adults, allowed teachers, allowed parents to to take a child by the hand and say, OK, I want to walk you through this, but I'm going to give you I'm going to walk you through this in a way in which I feel like you are capable of, of, of handling it, of ascertaining what is here um, or not. Right. And so that's why we, we end the book where we do at Memorial Day uh, or, or Decoration Day, it was called then um, at the picnic, you know, and Opal receiving her reward and then the photo uh, of the devastation of the next day. So um, but wanting to make to help young people again, understand um, that. Particularly young people in North Tulsa um, who haven't experienced I mean, it's a food desert, you know, Northeast Oklahoma City is a food desert. Um, So having folks who young people who haven't experienced anything but that kind of hardship. Right. The um, the mortality rate in North Tulsa is 11 years less than the the mortality rate in South Tulsa. Right. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's going up and down Peoria about five miles. Right. Yeah. So to be able to help our young people uh, in North Tulsa and everywhere. Right. Um, really find a way to enter this history. Um, and in addition to that, you know, it's also a book as, as I, I often quote um, Clara Looper um, and Miss Looper. You know, uh, in 2016, she said, uh, my biggest job now is helping white people understand that black history is white history. We cannot separate the two. 
right? Yeah. And so that's a part of this as well, right? Is that it's a way to introduce this story to young white folks too, and folks mm-hmm. and, and children of other of all of all ethnicities as well, and say, look, this is what happened. Yep. Um, because of systemic racism. This yep. is what happened because of economic jealousy, right? Um, this is not something that you want to perpetuate, but see it, you know, right. look at it. This right. is, this is real. This right. is what was destroyed. This little what, Go ahead. And, and what we're living now is a, is a culmination of denying those parts of our history that um, that deal with racism and systemic mm-hmm. racism and um, and uh, the white supremacy culture, and uh, and mm-hmm. so it's it's created a bigger issue uh, be- because we have not wanted to deal with it in history, and um, and one of the things that I wrote down was we shouldn't be waiting until high school to teach history and to teach Greenwood and and what happened. And your book is a beautiful example of how we can um, start that in earlier grades so that, A, our students can see themselves in the books. Right. Um, and so that they can begin to learn the lessons in a way that they can understand. Yeah, thank you for that. I mean, and you both you both are acutely aware that there are uh, more uh, animals as lead characters in children's books than there are children of color. I mean, and we're in 2021 and that's still the truth. That's still, that's still what is, what is, and that's horrible. You know, that's horrific. Um, but it's also by design as well. Um, it's, it is not by accident. Um, and then to, to further what you just said, Alicia, you know, you know, this house bill 1775 is just toxic and dangerous and, um, is a perpetuation of, of, of what you just said. It's a perpetuation of a denial of the inclusivity of real life and real history, right? Um, you know, I was gonna say until, um, until uh, African-American studies is not an elective, but a requirement until uh, indigenous American studies is not an elective, but a requirement until Latinx studies are, are not, an elective, but a requirement, then we will all be uh, indoctrinated by the same lens, by this, by one vantage point, by one gaze. And 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 it, when we talk about history, uh, and this year is the hundredth anniversary, as everybody's aware, that is not that long ago. I mean, that is not. I mean. That's not 500 years ago. That is a few generations ago That's for right. our for our current students. This is, I mean, there are people in Tulsa who are descendants of this. This is not a, that they can directly easily trace back. This is not a, um, this happened off in ancient Egypt. This is right. very close to where we are right, right now. Right here. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you're right. It's very alive. And one of the things that I often, when I'm when I'm engaging in and teaching or conducting what are called racial healing circles, um, I ask folks, um, "Do you believe that uh, there's a stigma that exists about North Tulsa?" Um, and most folks say yes. You know, North Tulsa is primarily you know a black community. Um, and then I ask them, you know, what are the stigmas that you think people carry? Uh, about North Tulsa and folks say crime and racism and, you know, 
uh, poverty and so on and so so forth. And then I and then I, I asked them. I said, so do you understand, right, that the the same stigma, right? that you their stigmas that you tell me are telling me exist today understand that their those stigmas are over 100 years old they're very alive the only difference the only difference between those stigmas in 1921 and those stigmas in 2021 is that in 1921 the community was actually affluent and thriving right and could take care of itself and its children right um, because there were banks and shops and homes and theaters and churches and grocery stores, and now it's a food desert, mm-hmm. right? But the same stigmas apply. Kids on the South Side, and I taught at a school on the South Side when I first got uh, to Tulsa, um, their parents tell them not to go to the North Side, you know, because um, it's a scary place to be, you know? Um, so, yeah, there's a, it, it, the, Tulsa remains exceedingly segregated, you know, um, very, very segregated. And the, 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 the bad, the, the, the really telling part about all of it, I think for me, again, having been back in Oklahoma for two and a half years and in Tulsa for all, you know, for all of the, all of those, you know, those two and a half years um, is to be reminded of the pervasiveness of, 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 of racism in Oklahoma um, and um, how it's just in so many ways a part of the water. Um, you know, I, I often say I've met some of the nicest racists here, you know, um, because there's some really I mean, good people, not necessarily good people, but nice people, friendly people, but just racist, you know? Um, and that we live in a state where it's still possible to not interact with a person of color, you know? And I just came from the South side of Chicago where I could possibly go through days and weeks and not interact with someone who was not of color, you know? And I think both of those things are not necessarily healthy, right? Because that's not the real world, right? Right. That's right. not what's real. What's real is that we're all here and in this together. Right. Um, and that is why 17, possible 7075 is so dangerous because it only represents a, a singular viewpoint, which we've all already been right. <laughs> indoctrinated with anyway, you know? Right. So, but don't get me started on that. Go ahead. <laughs> so um, I, I'm going to circle back ever the teacher. What message do you, do you want to give to educators who are sharing the story of Opal's Greenwood Oasis with their students? Um, one, again, that um, that this place really existed and it's worthy of, of study. It's worthy of, of a deeper study, even in terms of taking a look at old maps and photos uh, before the massacre to see the kind of vibrant uh, life that existed in the district. Um, two, um, that Opal, as you uh, already, I think mentioned, Alicia, Opal is, it's a universal story in terms of the bike ride that everyone I think can connect to, can relate to. Three, um, you know, again, we, we, we chose very deliberately to, to have a girl forward focus because of that lack of, uh, uh, uh characters of, of color in children's books. Um, that, um, also again, that, to reinforce the idea of 
of community, right? And I think that gets lost sometimes when we're when we're thinking about um, communities of color. Um, that this that there was community, there was safety. People knew one another. Look, people looked mm -hmm. out for one another. Mm -hmm. um, also, again, those. Uh, those sort of jumping off points um, that that teachers can 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 lead students on their own uh, on their own pace at their own pace uh, on a walk through what happens um, the next day, um, and you know I want teachers to fall in love with the images. I think Skip's illustrations are magnificent, They're beautiful. I love um, them, and and to be able to to. I think to, to show those images, um, to be able to um, display and help young people gain a, a deeper sense of, the, of, of life that even, even in the face of Jim Crow, um, that young people grew up uh, and had a childhood. And, you know, I don't know that our young people have childhoods anymore, um, but that these kids had a childhood. Um, and they, you know, they went to church, they went to school, they, they rode bicycles on Saturdays, they, they went down to Williams Confectionery and got milkshakes. Um, and that we actually can't even do those things anymore, how, how much that, that, that's that kind of community um, exists very, in very few places, you know, in 2021. Um, I will say, I just um, came up with 15 cross-curricular uh, lesson plans in my head as you were talking. Yeah, so. <laughs> good. Yeah, well, good. Maybe I'll, you can share some with me. We are working on, um, with the Greenwood Cultural Center, we are working on developing a curriculum um, for, for essentially third through fifth graders, um, which I need to get back to. But yeah, I mean, I think there's place, there's location, there's the history of the time. There's thinking about the fact that, you know, that, this was just um, just after the, the end of World War One, the first time the black men could fight on behalf of the, 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 the country. Um, you know, um, you know, there's there's there are there are many historical intersections there that can be explored. Um, you know, what was the state was still young. The fact that Greenwood um, is actually where the Osage, a cattle reservation, Muskogee Creek land. Um, and Cherokee land intersect and meet. And then um, it became, that. yeah. And then, wow. um, and then it became, you know, Greenwood because O.W. Gurley bought the first plot at 101 North Greenwood Avenue um, and, um, and then set up shop. But, you know, there's an interesting debate about what, what's going about if it was Creek land first or Caddo or Osage or whatnot, but it, in fact, it was all, at one point in time, it's actually a place where all of those lands meet. Um, and then you have um, the Greenwood District, you know, right there as well. So there's a lot of history. There's a lot of blood on this soil. Um, there's a lot of history, a lot of spirits uh, on this on this land as well. Um, and then I think about, um, again, that black folks could not go south of First Street or Second Street um, unless they had a, a, a white escort, um, which was you know working in, as a domestic in someone's home. Um, that black folks were interned 
um, in three different locations for up to six days um, unless uh, a white person came and vouched for you, came and claimed their Negro is the phrase. Um, and so there, 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 there's a lot, of, a lot of stuff to teach in the book, you know, that we, we sort of hint at. Uh, some things we dig deep in, drill down on, um, but there are a lot of sort of jumping off places. Well, if uh, I encourage everybody, I, I've got a fifth grader and a kindergartner, and I encourage parents of young kids to get this book and read it to them. I think it opens the door to have lots of conversations in lots of ways. Um, but also, I would encourage educators to request it at your school library. Please, that, absolutely. That, have it have it there accessible for everybody. So um, we um, we deeply appreciate your time. Uh, we know that you are busy beyond measure. So we appreciate um, you so much, Karish, for coming and visiting with us and for your work on this book. Um, thank you. It's my pleasure. And you know, my uh, co-author and I and our illust and our illustrator Skip, we also make house calls. So if any. Um, schools or teachers uh, are out there, yes. administrators are interested in um, in having us do a virtual event or an in-person event. If you're feeling feeling comfortable, um, we're open to that as well. And you can contact us through our publisher, which is the Calliope Group, uh, LLC. Awesome. That is, that is great. Yes. Yeah. Let's learn together. That's the best way to learn. And welcome to Alicia's Morning Announcements. Do, 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 do. I hope that you've had a fantastic Teacher Appreciation Week. Um, I know that uh, I sent my daughter off to school today with cards and gift cards for all of her teachers. Yeah, And same. because I'm a horrible parent, I made her write a oh, specific me too. note to each, Good. Each, each teacher. Teacher Appreciation slash Child Punishment yep. Week. Come on. So just to be oppositional defiant, she'll probably forget them in her backpack and um, and her teachers will have an extended yeah. teacher appreciation week. It's all good. What else is going on? You may be asking. Black Caucus is meeting tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. Um, today is the 7th. Uh -huh. So that means that they are meeting on the 8th. 10 a.m. 10 a.m. on the 8th via Zoom. You should have gotten a link in the edge um, and if you didn't just reach it, out and it's on okaorg slash caucuses. You okay. Can, for, you have to log in. Okay. And then the zoom infos there too. Yeah. So the black caucus is for any OEA members, mm -hmm. uh, black or ally. Mm -hmm. And, um, and really the requirement is that you are an OEA member. Only OEA members can, um, join in our caucuses. Um, also, this is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month, mm -hmm. and uh, Carrie has created a Pinterest board for OEA to help with um, with that. So go on the Pinterest. Lots of cool stuff in there. Posters yeah. and links to different scientists and different, there's like a whole astronaut section, and it's really awesome. There's so, so much good stuff out there. Yeah. And, I love a Pinterest board. And just like we said for Hispanic Heritage Month and um, Black History Month, mm -hmm. You don't only have to teach cultural <laughs> things in certain months. Anytime. You can do it anytime. Anytime. We encourage it. But this Pinterest board, and there are other Pinterest boards that uh, that you can glean stuff on, mm -hmm. off of. So do it. Um, then we are uh, partnering with 
um, the Oklahoma Blood Drive in Bricktown and OICA to push out information. Oklahoma uh, Institute for Child Advocacy. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> we are alphabet soup. I'm surprised I didn't say OBI for the Oklahoma Blood Institute. But um, so they are going to be in Bricktown on May 13th doing a blood drive. Yes. And they have a mask decorating contest. That's going to be so good. So you could, you could win prizes for um, the most amazing mask. So uh, giving blood saves lives. Yep. Uh, every, every time you give blood, you could save up to seven lives so with awesome. that one donation. So uh, I'm a big believer in it. And I've got the scars <laughs> that prove it. All right. Um, and then Tuesday, mm-hmm. it's another election day. Yep. Municipality elections and school bond elections. Yes. And let's talk about the importance of school bond elections because we've seen some um, hateful bully behavior in some of our local school board meetings recently. Yes. Um, and, you know, it's one thing to disagree, mm-hmm. but bonds for schools are so important yes do you want your child to go to a place that has air conditioning and a roof that's not leaking right and buses that can't that are not rickety and breaking down with your children on them yes that's what bonds do for schools you know all the this year has been such i mean it's been all the things fill in the blank this year but at the end of the day like something like a school bond election is such a nonpartisan, basic like support the kids in your community. This uh, you can be mad at the superintendent, you can be mad at the school board, um, you can be mad at whoever, but don't uh, be mad to the detriment of children. Yeah, punishing the children by not passing a bond issue is not the right stance that you want to take. Yeah, make them write thank you notes to their teachers if yes. you want to punish them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, this yes. Good trouble. Remember, remember to vote, people. Vote yeah. Tuesday. Vote on Tuesday. Every election matters. Absolutely. Well, we want to say thank you so much to Amanda Ewing of our legislative team. We want to say thank you to Karesh Alansana, uh, the author of uh, Opal's Greenwood Oasis, co-author and poet and general yes. all-star, <laughs> for joining us today. And thank you for listening to Fried Okra, the public education podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Carrie Coppernall Jacobs with the Oklahoma Education Association. And I'm Alicia Priest, president of the OEA. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review Fried Okra on Apple Podcasts. You can also contact us at friedokrapodcast at gmail.com. We hope you'll join us again next week. Until then, keep fighting the good fight and vote for public education.